It's, it's kind of like I'm asking you about your job. So you've been miserable in your job and, and well, you have lots of talents, you know, why, why are you staying there? So when we take marriage as sort of like your job, there's no moral commitment. I mean, when, when you took your job, you didn't say for life, right? And so if you're unhappy long enough <clears throat> or you have a better option somewhere else, you move on. We've taken marriage in the same way. This is our first launching episode of Stronger Marriage Connection. So we decided to kick things off with one of the nation's leading scholars and marriage therapists. The one and only Dr. Bill Doherty from the University of Minnesota joins us as we discuss what marriages are like today, what commitment looks like in the 21st century, and what it takes to create an intentional marriage. Our guest, Dr. Bill Doherty, is a professor in the Department of Family Social Science at the University of Minnesota. A longtime marriage and family therapist, he's an expert on challenges couples face, on navigating marital crisis and avoiding divorce, and on using family rituals to enhance the quality of family life. His books include The Intentional Family and Take Back Your Marriage. In recent years, Bill has taken his couple's work to the national level via co-founding Braver Angels, an initiative working to decrease the political polarization that is dividing the country. Among his awards is the Lifetime Achievement Award from the American Family Therapy Academy. I have a feeling you're going to love this first episode, so enjoy the show. Welcome to Stronger Marriage Connection, my friends. My name is Dr. Dave. I am a professor here at Utah State University, alongside a wonderful co-host, Dr. Liz Hell, a licensed psychologist. We are dedicating our life's work, our research, and our practice to really helping bring the best relationship tips and practices and the best research to you to help you have the marriage of your dreams. And today, I'm super excited for today's episode. This is kind of our, our initial, our big launch episode, and we decided to bring in just one of the big home run hitters, one of the, the great <laughs> scholars of our time, great author. Bill, am, am I doing good here? Just keep going. Yeah, keep home run. That's great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, this, this is great. We're wonderful. So grateful to have Dr. Bill Doherty from the University of Minnesota on with us. Welcome to the show, Bill. Great. Uh, home run. You know, I see myself more as a utility uh, player. You know, I can play a lot of different positions, but I'll take the home run slugger. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And we appreciate that you're such a fan of the Utah Marriage Commission, Bill. Thank you for that and the support you've given us through these 24 years. It's just such an honor. Well, you you guys have been pioneers, and I've been just uh, happy to support in any way I've been able to. Thank you. You know, we, we wanted to start today, Bill, with we hear so many numbers about the divorce rate, right, currently. I've heard it as low as 38 40% to maybe as high as 50% with first marriages. I don't know. Are we are we in the right, right ballpark? Is that correct? Is that what you're understanding today? What is the divorce rate? Well, it's it's actually more complicated than the, the overall mm -hmm. figures. Um, the the uh, the divorce rate for college educated people has gone down okay. substantially in the last ten or fifteen years. It hasn't gone down for working class people and poorer people. Um, but the overall divorce rate is lower. <clears throat> but the big news is the the difference in the social class aspects of it. Um, there's something happening uh, with college educated folks and and <clears throat> with millennials. <clears throat> so the, the divorce rate for each generation after the baby boomers has gone down. And so 
the good news is we're maybe learning some things here about how to make marriage work better than than the baby boomers learned. That's really good news, if that's the case. Thank you for clarifying that. I, we're really happy to be able to pass along correct information. We've also heard you say we need both boundaries and intimacy in marriage, Bill. There is danger in acting like an expert, yeah. right? An expert marriage therapist and diagnosing yeah. our partner. Sometimes we can get just enough yeah. uh, just enough information to be dangerous, right? That's a problem. Yeah, right. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, this um, I'm glad we're talking about this because I've seen it in my couples therapy practice and in my own life that the, the, there's a lot of pluses in reading self-help books, going to uh, webinars and so on, you know, to, as an individual to learn about marriage, about marital communication, about improving oneself as a spouse, all good. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but there's a downside that can happen that we can come to feel that we have more relationship expertise than our spouse. And then we let them know that. Thank you. <clears throat> and so you can get into this sort of uh, teacher student dynamic. So there's so many people. And, and if we're clear about it, women tend to, on average, be more yeah. interested in this relationship stuff. What's mm -hmm. new and, uh, and read more and so on. Uh, and then they, they do things like, hand the book over to their husband <laughs> to say, here, this would be good for you to read. And about 99% of the time, the guy doesn't read it. Okay. Imagine now, that. A, because that. maybe that's, yeah, maybe, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and I'm sure that's not true in Utah, but here in Minnesota, yeah. the guys don't read it. And some of it is that it's less maybe intrinsically interesting, interesting to him. But the other part is it feels like an assignment. Yes. Okay. Uh, and and so we tend to resist that from our spouses. So so that's one thing that the, the, the too much knowledge um, that we feel like we're going to pass on. It's not like you've learned how to fix a car better or something, you know, or you know, prepare souffle better. Okay, that's more neutral. This is knowledge about us, my spouse. Okay, uh, and that's number one. And then the second one is that. When people do um, learn to kind of self-assess themselves more and kind of have more insight into themselves, which is all good, mm -hmm. um, they can do the same uninvited with their spouse based on what they've learned. Okay, first, so like attachment styles are really big nowadays. So, so maybe then I say, "Gee, I've read about this, and I realize I have a kind of an action action." anxious attachment style given my family and I know my wife's family and I know her so <laughs> I'm going to offer that label to her and what I'm saying is if if she is actually healthy she's going to say excuse me um, you know because I am now playing like the therapist so it's really important that we it, it, as we get closer to one another in, in marriage our boundaries have to be really really solid Really solid. What I mean by boundaries is is respecting the autonomy, the privacy, the the right to have have mm -hmm. her her own thoughts, mm -hmm. um, and not to have me be the expert uh, on on my spouse. So, oh, you didn't use an iMessage there, my dear. I've learned to use <laughs> iMessages. You see what I'm saying? All kinds of examples. Oh, it's that, such uh, so intimacy. 
mm-hmm. closer we are, the better the boundaries we have to have. Yep, mm-hmm. staying in our own lane, that's, right? That's Bill? great, Bill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it Stay is. In our own lane. Stay yeah. in our own lane. You know, Stay because we are so we're, we're we um, we can be so self serving in marriage, even if we're not aware of it, right? Mm-hmm. That yeah. we use our knowledge Guil- in, our, in a self serving way to be Guil- guilty is charged. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Guilty yes. is charged at times. Yeah, me, me as well. So learning is good, right, Bill? I mean, you know, reading and, and assessing, but then it's it's where it comes to be. Ah, oh, I think you you need this because I've discovered my personality style, and you must be you're a red, and you're trying to either diagnose or kind of preach down. It's it's almost like parenting your partner in a in a way, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Or uh, or um, okay, you're giving me your thoughts, but not your feelings. Tell me how you feel, and then your poor spouse comes oh. out with a something that's not a feeling statement. And so you pronounce that they got that wrong. Um, (laughs) When they haven't signed up for you to be their teacher. Yeah. Yep. And and it gets easy for marriage educators and counselors to make this mistake because in our role, people come to us because they like to be educated, like to be, you know, they like to learn some things. So Mm -hmm. it's all fine there. It's all fine if, if you were to learn how to communicate better. And I say, Tell me how you feel, and then you you give me a thought statement instead of a feeling statement. Well, we have a an agreement in our relationship that I can say, actually, Dave, that was more of a thought. So I'm interested, feel feeling words like you know you're mad, you're scared, you're happy, you know, as opposed to what you think about it. So could you try that again? Hey, um, if we have that relationship, yeah. you just say, hey, Bill, good, thanks. I'm, I'm wanting to learn something. <clears throat> but in a family, in a couple. That is, uh, it it comes across as a power move. It's controlling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We'll be right back after this brief message. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. And we're back. Well, let's dive right in. Bill, with this first episode, as we as we launch this podcast, we're, we're kind of talking, you know, big picture as well as some some personal examples and what that looks like. Thinking about um, commitment today, you know, right? Yeah. Marital commitment in the in the twenty first century. Uh, what does that look like today for couples? Well, yeah, this is one of the, the my big interest areas. That in fact, my my daughter and I have a website called uh, moderncommitment.com. dot com, and. Um, and so commitment now um, is uh, become much more something that individuals have as opposed to the whole social environment around you expecting it, you know, that, that um, um, historically marriage was not so much just a personal relationship, it was a relationship between two families, extended families. It was based in a community. It was based on the idea that when you get you get uh, married, that's it for life. I mean, it's, you know, it's, you, you don't look for uh, doorways out. And everybody around you knew that. Um, and now 
is much more, um, it's very personal. So think about uh, weddings now, so many weddings, the, the brides mm-hmm. and grooms make, make up their own vows. I mean, that's yeah. sweet, but uh, it's very idiosyncratic. I mean, some of them get a little weird, you know, like the dog <laughs> is included. I don't know. I'm just, yeah. but, but we live in a, an age where we celebrate individual kind of uh, autonomy and creativity. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, and so we have it and we expect a lot more out of marriage than we did historically. Right. So yeah. the bar is higher. We expect to be, this is to be my best friend, my soulmate, you know, yeah. uh, I have to feel, feel understood and blah, blah, blah. And historically people didn't feel that you, somebody who respected you, who cared for you, who loved you and some, you know, but, and who was a good parent and, you know, you, you just, but now we expect all the psychological stuff. So <clears throat> the problem then is we're more individualistic. We're less community-based. We have very high expectations. <laughs> and unless commitment at a moral, ethical level is, mm-hmm. a, is big, a, a big part of this marriage, um, I'm going to feel disappointed in some way because my spouse cannot possibly live up to the cultural ideals. Mm-hmm. And then we, you know, we have kids and jobs and all that. So, so I'm going to deal with the gap between uh, my ideal mm-hmm. um, uh, and the reality. Individualistic era uh, commitment is based more on, on sort of personal choice and not kind of moral, mm-hmm. you know, religious dimensions. Mm-hmm. The commitment can start to falter. So it has to be strong in there. So part of what I've been writing for in, in as, as sort of a criticism and also a suggestion for my colleagues in the in the, the field of marriage and family therapy is that we talk about relationships, attachment, intimacy, communication. Mm-hmm. We don't talk enough about commitment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we can kind of set people up. This goes back to my earlier point about too much knowledge can be a dangerous thing in a marriage. Um uh, <clears throat> the uh, we can raise expectations for what we want out of marriage, and that's good. But unless we have commitment, I mean, and here I'm talking about a moral, ethical commitment, mm-hmm. we can actually destabilize marriages. Because mm-hmm. you see what I'm saying? Because the yes. expectations go so high, mm-hmm. and we're all flawed, so we don't live up to them. That's right, we are. So this is the ethical dimension that you're writing about, right? that not only about traditional yeah, steadfastness, yeah. but then a willingness to maintain and repair the marriages needed. Exactly. Correct? So I think modern commitment means, and I wish we could put this into the vows, that, that uh, if we run into trouble in our marriage, that we will make every effort to repair and restore. Mm-hmm. Every effort. Um, we will, neither of us will, walk uh, just you know because it's gotten bad we will seek help from our community from uh, if we're a religious person from our congregation from uh, from helpers from therapists we will do everything that we can just like if if we have a child uh, who becomes ill we would do everything right to help that child be restored to health do we feel the same way about our marriage i love those new vows <laughs> Isn't that brilliant? 
You know, you mentioned that what we learn in psychology, self-help books, and from individual psychotherapy, even even in marriage therapy itself, can be damaging. Can we talk more about that, the distinction between helpful marriage yeah, therapy yeah. and harmful marriage therapy? Please. Well, this has been a bug of mine for many, many years, in part because I keep running into uh, couples in therapy who have had some bad experiences in therapy before. Plus, in my own family life, my own friendship life, um, people getting undermined, their marriage is undermined by the therapist. Not that any therapist wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to go out and undermine marriages. But two things I want to say. First is that most people go to individual therapy and talk about their relationship problems. They're feeling depressed. They're feeling anxious. They go to a therapist and among their concerns is their marriage. Okay. Um, and it, and it's because it's scarier to go to a couple therapy. So a lot of conversations about marriage and relationship issues go on in individual therapy. And, and I, and I, and I've just seen so much uh, undermining. And now I have a new study that's just out um, in the journal family process where we, we surveyed 100 people uh, uh, across the country about their experience in individual therapy. And, and we asked them about questions such as, um, how often does, did your therapist say that your marriage was doomed from the beginning? Uh, that there's not much chance now for it to make. That your spouse will never change, mm-hmm. not having met that person, to a, uh, a, psych- a psychological evaluation of that person, a, a label, um, yeah. uh, uh, having never have, never having met them. Yep. A diagnosis. And the last one was, um, uh, <laughs> diagnosis was yep. the, 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 therapist, again, not having met your spouse, uh, uh, says that your divorce is probably your best option. Mm. Those Heart- go on a lot. Heartbreaking. A lot. So let's take the one about diagnosing. <clears throat> when I give presentations to therapists about this, they kind of go, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, it, it, so what men, what husbands get as a diagnosis from the therapist, never having met the guy, what men yeah, get yeah. is narcissistic personality, right? I was going to ask yeah, you. Narcissistic, into themselves, right, right, yeah. right, right, right. Yeah. Or <clears throat> they get, maybe he's on the autism spectrum. There we go. Because he doesn't open up with his feelings. Ah, uh, wow. guilty. Okay? Uh-huh. And what women get when a man goes to therapy and complains about his wife, uh, she gets borderline personality borderline. disorder, up and down, emotionally dysregulated. Yeah. One day she's loving, the next day she's mad. So I tell my therapist about this very in a very self-serving way where I leave out what I'm doing to get her so upset, right? Yeah. Uh, and then the therapist says, have you ever really thought about your wife in terms of borderline person. Do you know what? I can give you some literature on that. Oh, boy. And yep. I swear, many of us, at our worst, if our spouse got a, got a hold of some description, um, uh, w- many of us would look that way some days, at our worst, right? Narcissistic, yeah. borderline. Borderline. You know, and so and we're, we're having, having some fun with this now, but, but, in, in, but yeah. people do get undermined. And what we found in our study was that the presence of these comments from the therapist, as reported by the client, uh, are associated with poorer outcomes of the therapy and more likelihood of divorce. Oh. Mm. Yeah. 
makes me kind of feel sick to my stomach because I remember statements. I remember statements like this, Bill and Dave, I have to admit, yep, guilty, guilty as charged. Try not it's to be, so I know better. I know better, but oh, man. Yeah, so listen, I'm glad you said that. I really appreciate your openness on that because everybody has made these mistakes. And part of what we say is the pull, the pull towards taking the the side empathically of your client. And and their spouse is 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 a distressing figure in their life. Okay? Yeah. And it's very tempting to by their side of the story and to see their spouse as a two-dimensional figure. You know what it is, Bill? It's titillating. Um, It's titillating, you know, when I get caught up in that storyline, right? Oh, yeah. And, and, and your, your, your client in some ways likes it because you're confirming (laughs) his or her assessment that, it's mostly the other person. My my daughter Elizabeth has a has a great name for this kind of therapy. It's poor baby, what a jerk therapy. <laughs> you well poor, poor poor oh, you put up with all that. And then the and what happens is we don't then challenge the client about their participation in this, okay? Um, their contributions to these patterns that that go on and i think then we don't we don't help them as much now in terms of couples therapy the the new study we're doing now is with people who've been in couples therapy and the good news is there's fewer of those damaging comments but it's still happening in uh, you know 15 20 percent of the of couples where the therapist says things like um divorce may be your best option pulls one aside to give them the diagnosis of the other um, um, you know, so th- there's there's still stuff that goes on, and our evidence again is the presence of these kinds of comments uh, is associated with more divorce and with poor outcomes of therapy. Oh, and one more, <clears throat> this is a real bugaboo of mine. Um, somebody goes for help, so so one of one of the uh, spouses is in individual therapy, okay, mm-hmm. and uh, and so the therapist says, "Gee, talk to your spouse about getting." Couples there, get, getting help. Okay. You finally talk your husband or wife into getting help. So who do you see? You see the individual therapist of one of them. So it's often the wife. She's in therapy. She gets her husband. You get him in to see her therapist with her. And I'm talking about your, you know, you've been going for two years to this person yeah. who has basically bought that narrative usually. And our, our, our new study, we haven't uh, written this up yet, found higher divorces occurring simply on the basis of going to see one of their therapists oh, as wow. opposed to somebody who's more neutral. Hmm. Isn't wow. that something? That um, is and so last night I was watching uh, the, the Ted Lasso TV, which is, you know, is, uh, he's gotten all kinds of awards. Yeah. <clears throat> he's a soccer coach, okay? And I'm watching this episode, and, and uh, there's a player who's got some psychological issues, and the recommendation is to bring in a sports psychologist and, and do some therapy with. And the coach, Ted Lasso, is saying, I'm not so sure. And so his <laughs> colleague says, what, what's your concern? He said, I'm not so sure about therapy. What, what, what's, what, why? And then he said that when his own marriage was in trouble, his, uh, he, he, he saw his, his wife's therapist for couples therapy, and he said, and I felt like I was ganged up on. It was all my fault, and it was a really bad experience. So that was written by a screenwriter 
Isn't that who has had that experience? Yes. That, that wasn't somebody's creative, right? That's no. all the time out there. Uh, yeah. Wow. It breaks my heart. Man, Bill, that's, it is. It, it, it's sad. Um, let me turn Bill to this. We, we've done a study here in Utah um, because we think that most people, they want a genuine desire connection. In fact, the title of our podcast, Stronger Marriage Connection, we did that intentionally. Mm-hmm. So we surveyed Utahns. It turns out 67% of the respondents in the survey, they say they agree that they expect to be married to one partner for life. So about two thirds expect to be married to to one partner for life. And I have a daughter, our oldest, so our first uh, marriage in with our children. She was married this past summer. And of, of course, she, like all the others, expect to be married for life. So how, this is kind of a big question. How do they make that happen? How do they really get, get this good start off in their relationship and how do they keep it going? Well, the, the term I like to use is um, being intentional, mm-hmm. having an intentional marriage. Um, you know, I live from Minnesota mm-hmm. at the headwaters of the Mississippi River. And they say that getting married is like putting a canoe into the Mississippi River. If you don't, uh, if you don't paddle, you'll go south. Mm-hmm. And so the, 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 pace of life, the busyness of life, the distraction of life in, inevitably starts to draw energy out of a marital relationship, uh, particularly because we expect so much of those, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you, get, you get married at a kind of a peak of the coupleness. Right. Uh, and then that lasts for a little while. You start to have kids and jobs and all that. And <clears throat> a relationship that was based on a one-to-one you know, personal connection. Now you're running a small family business called raising kids and trying to make a living. And you're more side by side than this way, Hmm. face to face. And so you have to have intentionality, mindfulness to maintain and build your marriage because otherwise you will experience uh, more, more distance over time, which could be okay. It doesn't mean you have to break up, but, Hmm. In this more fragile era, mm-hmm. you can't afford to neglect your marriage. You can't afford mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember Dennis Rainey once said, he called it the, the natural float to isolation. If you're not consistently uh, paddling together, even have those mm-hmm. you know canoes tied together, then you'll naturally, you don't even have to be mean and nasty. You just kind of right. naturally mm-hmm. drift apart. Right. Yeah. right, right. Most divorces do not occur to high conflict couples. That it's, it's a mis- mistake that people think um, that uh, the majority of divorces, according to the studies, occur to couples with lower or moderate levels of conflict. So they're not just at each other's throats, but they drift apart. Yeah. Um, and then in an individualistic era, you can start to talk to your friends and others who say some version of you could you could cut a better deal somewhere else. You know, mm-hmm. Um and then, and then a key point, and this goes back to the ethical part, because I think you can ruin and destroy any, almost any marriage by focusing on what you're not getting. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Focus there. Point out to your spouse as frequently as possible how they're not meeting your needs. Yep. And then you will elicit defensiveness, withdrawal antagonism, whatever their worst part is, whether they just mm-hmm. withdraw from you or get mad, but whatever that is, you will invite them to bring their worst self. Yep. Uh, and then you double down on that. 
And then within a year or two, you are on the brink of divorce. Mm-hmm. And by, by the time you're on the brink of divorce, you are actually miserable. I mean, most people just don't wake up one day and say, I'm a little unhappy. Most mm-hmm. people who file for divorce are miserable. But what got you there, mm-hmm. and if what got you there is what I call consumer marriage, and that is, um, what am I getting out of this yeah. as opposed to what am I putting into it and what are we putting it together? Okay. If you take a consumer approach to marriage, you don't work on it because I expect my I expect my vehicle, my car to start. I spend a lot of money on it. Okay. I'm the consumer. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't have to put in work every day to maintain the darn thing. The automaker should do that. Occasionally I get it fixed. So I don't have to work on the marriage, but I'm not getting my needs met. I let my spouse know and we start to go down and down and down. And so by the time I open up to a friend about how miserable I am, my friend want to take or my therapist might want to take me out of my misery yeah. by getting rid of the marriage. Mm-hmm. Entirely mm-hmm. preventable. That's what I'm or, saying. or maybe even out of their misery. Right, Bill? Sometimes I think family members exactly. want us to be happy. Like, please no. get divorced so I can feel better. Exactly. <laughs> Well, this is another area of my research and practice is I call marital first responders yeah. that we, we have research showing that people turn to a friend, a sibling, somebody appear when they're having relationship problems. That's where they go first. And, and sometimes they get support and sometimes they get undermining. So like one of the most undermining questions would be, so Liz, are you happy? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I really can't say that. Mm-hmm. I don't know why you would want to stay. Yeah. Uh, or, or do you do you really love him anymore? That's well, a good I one. Don't know. Well, very complicated feelings, right? That's when you're upset one. in your yep. marriage, yep. and then you say, "I really." So you, well, what does that tell you then? What does that tell you, right? And mm-hmm. it's kind of like I'm asking you about your job. So you've been miserable in your job, and and well, you have lots of talents, you know. Why are you staying there? So when we take marriage as sort of like your job, there's no moral commitment. I mean, when, when you took your job, you didn't say for life, right? And so if you're unhappy long enough <clears throat> or you have a better option somewhere else, you move on. We've taken marriage in the same way. Mm-hmm. So are you happy? Do you love him or her? I think you deserve better, right? Deserve is the other word that comes in. You deserve better. Uh, here's another one. I call this an unforced error. It happens. So you're my sibling and you say, you know, I'm thinking I've, I've just decided I'm going to leave uh, Joe, uh, Mary Sue. And then I say, we never did like her. Okay. I never thought you guys were compatible. Okay? That's powerful. Well, then they're lovebirds again in another week and you can't take it back. <laughs> so I have a, p- people can look up maritalfirstresponders.org. MaritalFirstResponders.org, really? and we have a little training program on how to be a good confidant to people in your life who are having relationship problems. That's for all of us, not just therapists. I love, I love it. We need more of those. Yeah. Because for all, anybody who is a natural confidant, people open up to you. Yeah. That's powerful. Well said. Uh, Bill, I have to, I have to bring this up um, because, so I, I read this, this book, Take Back Your Marriage, one of your um, several books. I'm going to show it on the camera. And this is, um, so I read this as a graduate student, right? I think it was at Auburn University. I'm getting my PhD. And this was uh, one of those game changers. Hmm. 
uh, with the intentionality. You're bringing up intentionality. You're, you talk about rituals. What what motivated you to to write the book? Oh, there we go. Thank you. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> that's the second edition that she she's got the yeah, updated. Yeah. yeah, that's right. So, yeah, what motivated me to write it, it is partly personal because um, one of the ways that my wife and I have been intentional about our marriage is that we developed what I call marital rituals early on, even when our kids were really little. We didn't have a lot of money, but we would invest in babysitters and we'd have a date at least every other week. Uh-huh. And we had our favorite restaurant. We even had our favorite table. <clears throat> and um, uh, and so we, we just, we never lost the dating that we had. Most people fall in love through dating. I know it's an old fashioned term, but one to one time, um, <clears throat> you know, where you just get to know each other. Mm-hmm. And then we stopped doing it after we got married. So, so, uh, and we also developed, I write about in the book, um, when our youngest is about four, a, a, a an after dinner, ritual where we would just, uh, you know, have some tea or something uh, and uh, and uh, and just visit with each other after the kids were, um, you know, we fed them, they went off and we spent 15 or 20 minutes in a daily uh, conversation ritual. Beautiful. Um, just catching up with each other. So so that's been important in in my marriage. Uh, and and there's a lot of research on family rituals, you know, family yep. dinners and other kinds mm-hmm. of things um, where uh, that are bonders. So I wanted to write something then that wasn't about communication, conflict, <clears throat> um, sexuality, lots of, lots of books on those good stuff. I wanted to write something about this intentionality, mm-hmm. this rich, this approach to ritual. Uh, bonding times that people have that they're committed to. Uh, what do you do for your anniversary, for example? Anniversaries yep. occur like on a Wednesday, you know, when you got this kid as their their concert at school and you got mm-hmm. this and that and the other. And so do you just let it go or do you, or do you find another way to celebrate this? The birthday of your marriage. It is. Okay? And so, so there can be daily rituals and annual rituals. Yeah, yeah. so that, that's, that's why my own experience and then seeing that, for so many couples, this drift apart occurs because yeah. they don't spend time together right. in the way that they did where they fell in love. And I have a little story I tell in the book about a couple I'm seeing in therapy <clears throat> who married 17 years, and they were really strikingly uh, good-looking couple. Um, They're just good-looking and athletic-looking. So, and I asked them. Uh, how they met, <clears throat> and um, I, I was in Oklahoma at the time, and they met on a country western dance floor, and I said, "Oh, I bet you two were good," and they said, "Yeah, we were," uh, and they told us that that people used to form a circle around them and watch oh, them wow. dance. Wow! Okay, this very handsome yeah. uh, couple, and then I said, innocently, I said, "When was the last time you were dancing?" <laughs> Seventeen years ago at the <sighs> wedding reception. Huh. Wow. It was the last time they went dancing. So here was some of the glue, and they let it go. We'll be right back after this brief message. And we're back. Well, let's dive right in. Phil, I think 
It feels like today, in today's con- consumer marriage, it feels like that there are more um, distractions than ever before. You know, the the phones, yeah. the electronics, and the TV. And mm-hmm. Instead of that fifteen to to twenty minutes, you know, sit outside on the deck and, and talk. Yeah. It mm-hmm. feels like it's just you just drift to a device, and that's our fifteen right, twenty right. minutes. Instead of even watching a TV show or with the TV on, I see couples right, and right. ones over here on the phone scroll, scroll, scroll. <laughs> instead of that yeah. intentionality, yeah. right? So. Excuse me. Part of what I teach about in the book is, well, uh, how do you maintain a ritual? How do you protect the boundaries yes. around the ritual? So over time, when my wife and I would have our after dinner conversation over a little dessert, <clears throat> we evolved some ground rules. And that is that we did not do problem solving conversation. We didn't say, Okay, so the roof uh, the roof is leaking. Uh, you know, to, you know, <laughs> yeah. those days the yellow pages. It, so n- no logistical talk. There's time for that. It's more like, how's your day? How's your day been? You know, what's on your mind? You might say part of my day is worrying about that darn roof, but we're not, <laughs> you don't follow up and say exactly what are we going to do with the roof. <laughs> and so it's kind of like if you're getting together with a friend. Uh, and you just check in with each other. Mm-hmm. You're not pr- trying to solve a problem with that person. Okay, you're 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 checking with each other. So downloading what your day has been, uh, and we also learn to avoid <laughs> avoid conflict, avoid arguments, mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> because conflict undermines ritual. So families, for example, that get have a lot of arguments at dinner table, you know, where the parents are coming down too hard on kids about, mm-hmm. uh, about their table manners and it gets to be, you know, or they bring up their grades, the kids' grades, you know, so here's some more potatoes. Uh, I saw your report card. Uh, that's a mistake. Mm-hmm. Have, have your conversation later with your kid about the report card. Try to make the family mm-hmm. dinner ritual um, more of a peaceful time. Same thing with a marital ritual or daily one, or go out on a date. Because here's the temptation. If you haven't been around each other and you go on that date, somebody has a list of things. <laughs> now that I have you... Now I have your attention. ...undivided time here, yeah. um, uh, it's time for us to discuss blah, blah, blah. Okay? Yeah. Um, well, that's the best way to avoid having future dates. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So there's this irony about it that <clears throat> to have, quote, quality time together, ritualized time together, you have to have some buffers around that. You can't just be completely spontaneous. And, and when people go, oh, that's too structured, I say, okay, think about bedtime with your kid. You read a book, you cuddle, you talk, you maybe do a little prayer or whatever. Mm-hmm. Every parent knows that's not the time to say you were obnoxious to your brother today and we have to talk about what the consequences are going to be. Don't do that at bedtime. Everybody knows that intuitively. Okay. Even if it's real on your mind, you don't ruin the bedtime that way. It's the same way about our marital communication. There are times to shelve what I'm unhappy about or what you didn't follow through on or whatever, and just connect, just connect. 
remember that your boyfriend, girlfriend, right? We forget exactly. that. Forget mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And, and loving. Treat them that way sometimes, right? Yeah. Right. But yes. the, the, it's easier to do it when you're boyfriend, girlfriend, because you don't have all this other complexity. That's right. Okay. You're not making all of these decisions together. You don't have these responsibilities together. But you can carry through the elements of that. Yeah. Um, you know, and so... After we moved to Minnesota, my wife and I got a hot tub, <clears throat> an nice. outdoor hot tub. And so our new ritual was 10 o'clock at night or so, ah, going to sit in the hot tub together, out under the stars, and just relax together and, and, and visit. Lovely. I love that. Love yeah. those rituals. You've reminded us so much about commit, commitment. I can't tell you what a pleasure it is, Dr. Bill Doherty, to have you on the show. And we're going to have you back again with another hot topic called discernment counseling, which is very okay. near and dear to my heart. It's what do you do if you're on the brink of divorce? It gives couples such hope. Traditional therapy is not appropriate when one is leaning in and one's leaning out. So can't wait to have you back for that, Bill. Looking yeah. forward. Hey, Bill, before we we let you go, we like to end uh, each episode with a a takeaway of the day, something that you hope that the listeners will really latch on to and and remember and apply in their lives. What's your takeaway of the day from our conversation? It's that you're a citizen of your marriage, not a consumer Mm -hmm. of your marriage. Okay, you're an active agent of shaping and building this relationship which means being intentional about it and being rock solid committed. Uh, Beautiful. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Liz, what about you? Yeah. Commitment. It was really on the top of my head. Just that, no, come, come what may, right? Come what may commitment. I'm in this for the long haul and that's going to be different for everyone, right? Everybody has their level of, um, of, oh gosh, what I'm, I'm at a loss for a word. Maybe we'll just cut that out and just leave it at commitment. But can I ask you, Bill, don't people kind of have their own level of what they can stand? What's that called? Oh, anyway, so yeah, what, what are deal breakers for some people are not deal yeah. breakers for others. Is that true? Is it very individual? Well, we, we can, okay, well, when you say deal breakers, I actually consider that part of the consumer contractual marriage ah, paradigm. Pardon me. Yep. Right. Now, I don't mean to, to, you I appreciate know, that. Didn't, didn't mean to just, it's not, it's people use that phrase. That's helpful. <clears throat> but a deal breaker is like a contract. Right. Now I got my part, you got your part, <clears throat> you're letting down your part. And so it's not, I remember a woman in therapy, she said, it isn't the deal I thought I was signing up for. <clears throat> it never is. It never is. Uh-huh. It's like parenting. what the heck you know you just don't know what the future is we don't Um, know what we're signing up for do we that's right so um maybe we could talk at another time about what i call hard problems versus soft problems oh yeah marriage yeah hard problems called the triple a's abuse affairs and addictions okay so there can be a point in which you cannot accept any longer the chronic affairs of your spouse, and you've done all kinds of things to try to get help. <clears throat> Their addiction that's making them more and more irresponsible, or certainly abuse. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you just walk the first time anything happens, right. but there can be at times in which you 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 tragically cannot hold on to that commitment because the mm-hmm. effect is, is so damaging. Mm-hmm. It's tragic. Yeah. People have to give their kids over to foster care sometimes. I mean, life is filled with tragedies. Yes. Okay? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, but 
Um, but most of the divorces are for the soft problems, mm-hmm. which are lack of communication, lack of intimacy. We argue too much together. Yeah. Um, you, you better like how you spend the money. Most divorces nowadays are for the soft reasons, most of which are quite repairable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, gradually, great, remind, yeah. great reminder. Thank you on the consumer marriage. I needed that reminder. Yeah. What's your takeaway, Dave? You know, I think man, it's been such a great conversation. I think my yep. takeaway is the the rituals of connection. I, that really resonates with me. My wife and I, even the way you know that we hold hands or three squeezes is kind of the I love you. You know, there, there's just mm-hmm. things that we we get each yeah. other and we intentionally do these these mm-hmm. uh, things throughout our our some are daily. Some are, um, you know, a weekly ritual that we'll get together and do. So I think that the, the importance of rituals of connection to keep that, that connection uh, strong. Well, Dr. Bill Doherty, this has been such a pleasure. We yeah. sure appreciate your time. Hey, before we let you go again, where can people go to find out more information? Well, um, about what my daughter and I are doing, the Doherty Relationship Institute, they could, they could Google that uh, to find out more of what we're doing. Also have a, um, a foundation, a family foundation we've created. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. That's where this marital first responders program is. It's all free and it's uh, DohertyFoundation.org. Oh, that's wonderful. Beautiful. Yeah. We love well, you, thank Bill. you so much for your time. Yep. Yeah. We sure thank appreciate you so it. Yep. And thanks for, for those tuning in. We sure appreciate your support. We hope that you'll continue to listen to us, that you'll spread the word here at Stronger Marriage Connection. But for now, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us today. Do us a favor and take a few minutes, if you haven't already, to subscribe to our podcast and the Utah Marriage Commission YouTube channel. Leave a review and share with a friend. You can also follow and message us on Instagram at Stronger Marriage Life and on Facebook at Stronger Marriage. We'd love to hear from you. Tell us what topics you want us to explore or what you loved about today's episode. And don't forget to check out our website, strongermarriage.org, for show notes and more great resources from the Utah Marriage Commission for improving your relationship connection. Finally, a big thanks to Utah State University Extension, Rex Polanis, and the Utah Marriage Commission for producing each episode.